All right, welcome to chapter 6 of the book of Galatians. In this session, we're going to look at chapter 6, verses 1 through 10. And this section really has two paragraphs within it that all revolves around the idea of working together in the church. Part 1, paragraph 1, is 6, 1 through 5, and it really focuses on working together in the church as we deal with brothers or sisters who are sinning. Part 2, verses 6 through 10, deals with working together in the church by doing good things for, providing good things for your fellow believers. So, 1 through 5, 6 through 10, two paragraphs in this section that all revolve around working together in the church. Let's jump into the first paragraph, 6, 1 through 5, where Paul deals with working together in the church as it concerns brothers and sisters who are sinning or struggling with a sin. And to put this in context, recall that the end of chapter 5 dealt with uh, the really the basics of Christian living and how we're going to live together as the church. And Paul has set out the plan for that Christian living there in verses 16 and following by saying, Christians are actually governed by God's Spirit, not by the Old Testament law. The Spirit produces genuine Christ-likeness in us from the inside out. He's our partner and our guide that, that helps us become like Jesus. Okay, Paul, well, what about brothers or sisters in the church who have some sin issue, who are caught in a sin? What do we do with those people? 6, 1 through 5 answers that question. Notice what he says. He says, Brothers, brothers and sisters, fellow Christians, even if a man, i.e. a person, if a man is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself, lest he too be tempted. couple little details out of verse 1 there. It says, even if a man is caught in any trespass. That word caught could have two senses. It could mean stuck in, right? Overtaken by, caught up in, right? Like trapped by. Or it could mean caught, like detected, caught doing. Both of those are legitimate senses of that. Which is it here? And it's not 100% clear, but I suspect it's the first one. Overtaken in, caught up in, trapped in a trespass. This person has some sin issue that is a real struggle for them and they haven't been able to kick it or they're still you know they're dealing with it and it's becoming a problem for them and for the church so if a member of your church is caught stuck in a trespass what should you do well here's the the instruction Paul gives you who are spiritual restore such a one what does he mean by you who are spiritual we need to really think clearly about this because Paul isn't thinking there's two classes of Christians in the church. The spiritual ones, the high and mighty elite spiritual group, and all the other Christians. That's not what he means by you who are spiritual. In context of the whole letter, with the preceding discussion about walking by the Spirit, what Paul means by you who are spiritual means you who are walking by the Spirit you in and through whom the Spirit's fruit is being produced. And the you here is plural. So those of you in the church who are actively walking by the Spirit and through whom the Spirit's fruit is being manifest and produced in your life, those of you like that restore such a one. That's the instruction. The goal is not to shame them. The goal isn't to 
punish them. The goal isn't to embarrass them. The goal is, if at all possible, to restore them. The word means put back to proper working order. They're a child of God. There's a way they're designed to function. They have the Spirit too, and they're made to live by the Spirit. And for whatever reason, there's an issue here, and we need to figure out what that is, diagnose that, and set things right. Restore them. In fact, the word restore sometimes was actually used of putting a bone, uh, setting a broken bone, so that it could work properly. And that's the idea. We, we help bring them back to proper Christian living, walking by the Spirit. And so we restore them, and we do that in a spirit of gentleness. Um, remember that part of the fruit of the Spirit is gentleness. And so we who are walking by the Spirit, we restore this person by the very character trait that the Spirit is producing in us, gentleness. We do it gently, considerately, not heavy-handedly, not shamefully, right? Like, we do it gently. We restore them in a spirit of gentleness. And then he says, each one of you, looking to yourselves. And so now we've moved from the plural to the singular because self-examination can only be personal, as Ben Witherington says. So each one of you looking to yourself. And so as you go about restoring this person, um, look to yourself, examine yourself, recognizing your own frailty, your own weakness, your own susceptibility to temptation. None of us who are in Christ, even those of us who are walking actively by the Spirit, we're not immune to temptation, right? And so we keep an eye on ourselves as we help this person. We do so humbly and graciously, graciously aware of our own weakness, looking to ourselves. Well, that'll help us even do that with a spirit of gentleness. And so we know that entering into this restoration of this person means all of a sudden now the devil can seize that as an opportunity to tempt us and we look to ourselves lest, to, lest we become victims of temptation. And then he says in verse 2 that doing this, coming alongside somebody else and restoring them back to proper Christian living, well that's, that's a form of bearing one another's burdens. And so verse 2 he says, bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. Help shoulder this load. Help this person get back up on their feet and get to be walking by the Spirit again. That's what he means by bear one another's burdens. And when we do that, we'll fulfill the law of Christ. What's the law of the Messiah? What's the law of love? It's love your neighbor as yourself. It's what Paul quoted it earlier in chapter 5. It's what Jesus himself told us to do. That's the, the heart of the Messiah's way of life. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so as we come alongside people gently and help restore them to walking by the Spirit, uh, and we do that humbly and graciously, we are carrying out the law of love, the law of the Messiah. Now, verse 3, he says, For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. This idea of humility, like looking to yourself, where that we're not immune to temptation. We're susceptible as well. And so that means we, we come humbly and gently as we help people. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. This idea of uh, not thinking too highly of ourselves, right? Like having an honest self-assessment, recognizing that we are, uh, we everything we are is a gift of grace, and there's no room for a superiority complex in the body of Christ, and that that actually is what enables us to help restore somebody and do it gently. Is this 
uh, recognize that we don't have a superiority complex. We recognize that we are what we are by the grace of God. And so if anyone thinks he's something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Each one should examine his own work, and then he'll have uh, regard a reason for boasting in regard to himself alone, not in regard to one another. So instead of comparing yourself with other people and looking at other people and thinking, oh, well, I'm so much better than him. I praise God. I don't have his issue and all that. Instead of comparing ourselves with others, we simply examine our own work. We recognize the, the, the work of grace in our life and the need for grace in our life. We see the work of the Spirit and how he's transformed us and made us different. And we can rejoice. That's that idea of boasting is to celebrate. It's that boasting there is to proudly rejoice, to celebrate. Wow, God, you have done so much in my life. You have made me so much better, but not in comparison to somebody else because we're, we think we're somehow better than them. And that's what he's advocating there in verse 4. So we, we look to ourselves. We uh, examine ourselves. We recognize we need grace. We recognize we are what we are by the grace of God. We don't have a, a superiority complex. And, and thus, we look at our life and we're grateful to God, even humbly celebratory for the, the work of God in our life, that he has made us who we are, and we humbly, gently, and graciously help others get back to proper Christian living and walking by the Spirit. Verse 5 ends by saying, for each one shall bear his own load. Notice, this word load is different than the word burden up above. When we help restore somebody, we're helping bear their burdens. But we're responsible for our own load. The word load is something that we're responsible to carry. This is our weight. This is our load. This is what we're accountable for and that we're going to be accountable to God for. That's the idea. So we examine ourselves and we don't compare with others because I'm responsible for my own sanctification. I'm responsible for my own uh, walking by the Spirit. And I'm accountable to God for that. That's what I take responsibility for. Uh, and then part of that is gently helping others. And so each one shall bear his own load means the load is something I am obligated to carry myself. My own spiritual life is, is what I'm accountable to God for and what you're accountable to God for. And so I don't have to compare myself with you and think I'm better because of you. I just entrust it to God and let God be the one to assess my life. And I'm grateful for the progress I see because of his work of grace by the power of the Spirit. And so we, as the family of God, work together in the church to help uh, a brother or sister who's stuck, trapped in a particular sin, and restore them back to proper Christian living as they learn, once again, to walk by the Spirit. Now, verses 6 through 10 then deals with working together in the church by providing good things for our fellow believers. This is what he says. And let the one who is taught the word share all good things with him who teaches. So one of the ways we work together and we provide good things in the church is those who are taught provide good things for their teacher. This is consistent in the New Testament. In fact, Paul in 1 Timothy says that the worker is worthy of his wages, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. They're, they're worthy of being provided for, and that's what's being advocated here in verse 6, is that those who are being taught should share all good things with him who is doing the teaching. Verse 7, he says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh 
shall from the flesh reap corruption, uh, but the one who sows to the Spirit shall from the Spirit reap eternal life. General Christian teaching that's totally in sync with what Paul uh, said in chapter 5 about the flesh and the Spirit. Here it seems to be connected to what we do with our things, that we provide good things for those who are teaching us as a way of sowing to the Spirit. And so one of the ways that we we walk by the Spirit or sow to the Spirit as we provide good things to those who are teaching us God's Word. That helps us walk by the Spirit. And so general Christian teaching, I think, but applied specifically to this issue of giving and receiving here. So he says, don't be deceived. Here is the general principle. God's not mocked. God has set up the universe to work a certain way. Whatever a person sows or plants, like you plant corn, right? That's what he's going to reap. You plant corn, you're going to harvest corn. You plant wheat, you're going to harvest wheat. This is the basic principle. We know this is an analogy, the way it works, that what you plant, that's what you grow, that's what you harvest. Well, the the point he's making here then in verse 8 is, so for the one who sows to his own flesh, his own fallen human nature and all of that, the one who plants to that shall from the flesh reap corruption. You plant to the flesh, what the harvest will be will be destruction, corruption. But you sow to the Spirit, you plant to the the things of the Spirit, shall from the Spirit reap eternal life. So that's the way it works. And so he says, and let us not lose heart in doing good. And you can see providing all good things with the one who teaches, and then verse 9, doing good. That's why I say this general Christian teaching about planting and sowing and reaping and the flesh and the spirit is here applied to generous deeds of goodness to God's people, especially to those who teach. And so he says, let let us not lose heart. Don't grow weary in doing good. Um, sometimes you're giving and you're giving and you're trying to do what's right and you're providing and you're serving and you're loving and you're not seeing much benefit or much return for that. He says, don't give up. Don't, Don't give up doing good for in due time we shall reap if we don't grow weary. And so continue to do good. Continue to be generous. Continue to serve others. Continue to provide good things for the members of your church family. Don't grow weary and lose heart in doing it, because in due time you shall reap. That It's just a promise. You sow to the things of God and the things of the Spirit. You will reap good things from God. You will reap eternal life. And so continue to do good. And so he says in verse 10, So then, while we have opportunity... While there's time, while we have the chance, let us do good to all men and especially to those who are of the household of faith. And so provide good things for people. Provide good things for your spiritual teachers who are teaching you the word of God. Do good things for everybody, Christian or non-Christian. Be generous, ready to share, serve them, love them in Jesus' name. Especially do good to those who are members of the, the household of faith, to your Christian family. And you know that there's needs there. Figure out how you can serve them and help them because they're part of your Christian family. Do good to all men. Don't lose heart. And in due time, you will reap if you if you don't give up and you don't give in. One little observation there on verse 10 is this. Notice he says, let us do good to all men, believers and unbelievers, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. And I think that reminds us that our first responsibility is doing good to our fellow Christians. And so as churches, uh, we should make sure that the first 
the first people we care for and provide good things for and do benevolent deeds for is members of our church family, members of the Christian faith. One of the benefits of being a Christian is the practical love and support that we give to each other. In fact, in the book of Acts, that was one of the things that made the early church attractive to outsiders and drew outsiders to them. Read Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4 and you see all this generosity and how they're supporting each other and caring for for each other and eating together and selling possessions and giving to one another. And that, that made them attractive to the surrounding unbelieving community. And I think the same is true today. And so as churches, let's do good to all men, but especially to the household of faith as a one of the benefits of being part of the church, and and let that then shine a light to the rest of the world and make it attractive to them to say, man, this is what we do for each other in here. And then invite them into that and love them in that way and serve them in that way as well. And so do good to all men, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Let's not leave that general. It's really, it's really easy to love the idea of doing good things for people out there, everywhere. Let's bring it specific to our sphere of influence, to where we live, and think in terms of concrete, practical ways of doing good to the people that are in our life, not to the people who are out there who, man, it would be great to do these big good things, but let's just start small where we live. Who in your life needs you to do some good things for them? Who in your life needs your support, your practical expressions of Christian love and Christian care? Do good to them in Jesus' name. That's the teaching here of verses 6 through 10.